My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head 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 Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenwriting. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me today is Karen Campbell. Hello, Karen. Hello, Pilar. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Let me tell you a little bit about Karen. She was a producer and writer on Outlander for the past for, for, I'm sorry, for seasons three and four. And she also wrote and produced for the History Channel series six, the CBS series Unforgettable, USA's Covert Affairs, and the wildly popular Showtime series Dexter, which was based on her life. No, it, it it's wasn't. It's true, right? I'm just adding right that. what you know. <laughs> and the way that Karen came to me is that she was recommended by Tony Graffia, who was just here a couple of weeks ago. Everybody loved her show. If you can remember, uh, Tony is uh, uh, one of the EPs on Outlander. And as soon as we finished the podcast, she said, oh, you have to talk to Karen Campbell. <laughs> that Tony. Thank you, Tony. <laughs> I didn't even ask her, like, do you know anybody? She just was like, hey, you, let's get Karen on the show. So thank you for being here. Oh, you're welcome. You have quite a resume here. Thank you. It's, um, it's funny as I go on meetings as of late, um, people comment on how diverse it is in terms of the different worlds that I've kind of explored and written in. And, um, I guess that's just a testament to me loving characters and worlds. And it doesn't really matter what the story is. I just, I love the art of storytelling. Well, there, it is diverse, but there's also a solve the problem kind of thing that 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 binds all of them in terms of of almost a procedural uh, feeling with the majority of them. I wouldn't say so much with with Outlander. Yeah, not so much with Outlander. <laughs> so, are, do you find that you're a good problem solver in good li- in in real life? What a great question. If you were to ask my husband, he would have a different answer. But I think professionally, yes. Oh, yeah. I do. I think so. I think um, I think so. And I think it's become even more apparent over the past two years. I've been um, spent a lot of time producing, mm-hmm. being on set in Scotland, in South Africa. And when in writing, when you're in a room, it's amazing. You're working with a bunch of people who are writers and everyone understands the objective and the goal. And it's pretty clear. I mean, you can have people who might want to take the story in a different direction or have a different opinion on what the character would do in a given situation. But what's interesting, problem solving becomes really more applicable when your boots on the ground on set. And mm. I think it's probably symptomatic of the fact that there are a lot more people you need to collaborate with. Mm-hmm. Whereas in a room, you're in a room with six, eight, sometimes 10 writers. When you're on set, it's, you know, over 100 people that you wind up working with. So you can imagine, you can go like, yeah, and then they solve the problem in this way. 
you know, right? And then when you get to sort of a practical problem that needs fixing right in the moment, you still need to be imaginative, but then you need to use everybody. That's absolutely right. You still need to be imaginative, but at a certain point, practicality is going to override and it's what do we need to do to make this work given the time that we have to tell this story on this given day at this particular time. Did you, did you think when you first started as a writer that you would be so involved with the actual production of a, of a TV show? Like, like you said, the boots on the ground part of That's it. That's a great question. I mean, my first job coming out of film school was being an assistant to Robert and Michelle King. And they were showrunners of a particular show called Injustice at the time. And what was interesting is that was a very room-centric show. And they had come from the feature world. So it was interesting to see how different television was to them. Um, working on a show on Outlander, because I've done producing on Covert Affairs, um, on Dexter, and Outlander, I think it's because you have to go overseas and it takes so long for us to produce our episodes. Um, I found it really rewarding and great. I mean, I love team sports and it's very much a team sport, similar to working in the writer's room as Mm -hmm. well. And, uh, but in film school, that was super fun as well. I loved producing short films. I loved like writing them and directing them. And you have people who are your friends who are working on them with you. And, um, so I feel very lucky that this is a blend where you do get to write and you do get to produce. Because I think a lot of people, when they're, they're thinking about, you know, getting their first staffing job, for example, they don't, they've heard, they know that part of the, the title you get is producer as you climb, but how much you really are a producer, I think varies per show, right? As far as the actual production work that you're doing. That's absolutely accurate. Um, it does vary. I think though, at times it can be, I mean, if you're, if you're just starting out, it needs to just be about what's on the page. It 100% needs to be focused on the characters and their journeys and the world that you're building. That needs to be the main focus. Uh, And then once you're on a show and once you understand the parameters of production and that there are certain things that aren't going to work, but you can keep the spirit of what's there in the story and still find a way to make it production friendly at the same time. Can, Can you give an example? Oh, man, what's a good example? Where you knew it wasn't, okay, we can't, we don't have the budget for this. We don't have the space for this. I know, it's going to, I mean. But the spirit of it. The spirit of it, yeah. Okay, I'll use an example. I'll use an example from Outlander. Mm -hmm. Season three, um, I know that we wanted, there was a part in the source material where uh, Mr. Willoughby, as a way to lift the doldrums curse or something, dives into the ocean and wrestles with a shark. I think it was a shark. We all know we're never going to do that. We can't afford that. We don't have the VFX for that. Uh, get the shark cage. Where's the shark cage? Get that, it now. Yeah. Even though we shot in Cape Town, there was no way we were ever going to be able to do that. Um, and so it turned into a thing where like, how can you take the spirit of that where Mr. Willoughby does some big gesture that winds up having the same outcome, which was in the source material, which basically a gust of wind picks up and they're no longer in the doldrums anymore. And I believe what we wound up landing on, just because shark wasn't going to work. Oh, and then we thought, well, could it be a pelican? Pelicans, a VFX nightmare. <laughs> or fish, no. Or fish isn't going to work. We went through. He wrestles with a pelican. Yes. Or a kraken. I mean, 
it was one of those, it became quite clear it could be no beast, but it was just the act of going to the edge of the gunnel and throwing his poems, his writings up into the air. And then that takes the wind, that a gust of air catches it. And that is the magic. So, you know, so he still does something that does wind up um, having an outcome that helps them get on their way back to Jamaica. Isn't that so interesting that like it could be as small as that? You went from you went from shark to throwing papers up in the air, but it sounds like what you're capturing, yeah, there's a magic thing you have to do, but but it's the emotion, right? It's like what's the emotion of the moment that you're really going for and how can we express that? Absolutely. Huh. So anytime you run into situations where that is just too pricey, it comes down to what is the what's the kernel that we're trying to communicate? And then how can we still get the spirit of that, just not using all of the expensive toys? I would just like to still vote for the shark wrestling on Outlander eventually. Like, I'm just just saying that I'm just, I'm just putting in a vote for it. Fair enough. Okay. Are. All right. Good. Good, good. Um, <laughs> you mentioned, you mentioned uh, when you first started um, that you were helping producers um, and on Injustice. Can you t- talk a little bit more about your sort of, early days getting in, what your big break was, you know, what you were writing to, to get people's attention? Oh, yes. That is a great question. Uh, honestly, I think my first job in the industry, it happened from a relationship that I um, developed in school. I had produced a fellow um, graduate student's thesis film, and she had gone on to work for another executive producer on the show of Injustice, Jack Schaefer. And she knew I was coming close to graduation. I was like, hey, I'm looking for work. And we were friends and I had worked for her on her thesis film. And so she said, come and interview with these creators of this particular show called Injustice. And, um, and I did. And I wound up be getting hired as their assistant. And um, I also had a stroke of good fortune that um, while I was there, I was really jonesing to get into the room. I really wanted to see how they broke story. Um, stories always appealed to me. I mean, what's great is in school you get exposed to everything, which is wonderful. But, um, I think coming out, the thing that felt like had the least amount of overhead was writing and, uh, and that's what I love. And so it felt like the natural path to go down. And I asked them if I could additionally be the writer's assistant and they said, sure, which was really generous of them. And I was incredibly lucky. And so, I got to be in the room taking notes, and that was a really intense experience at first. I remember you really have to be dialed in and listening to all the voices in the room, remembering ultimately where we seemed to land, and, um, but it was thrilling at the same time because you got to see how television, like how television stories are broken and fleshed out, and sometimes how certain things are rejiggered or change and shift. And, um, I just, I found like, I loved the room. I loved being in the room and, um, it was also inspiring. And so when you're in there, actually it wasn't when I was in there, it'd be when I was driving home or when I was driving to work, ideas start percolating in, in my own mind. And I came up with a pitch and, um, I remember writing a, a page on it and I sent it to Robert and Michelle. I was just like, Hey, this is what I was thinking about. And didn't expect anything to come out of it, just kind of expressing how interested I was in the process. Mm -hmm. And uh, they said, this is pretty good, Karen. 
How about you team up with one of our upper level writers and uh, we're going to give you half a script. Oh my God. Which I know it's shocking. And I was thrilled and it was um, really incredible and really invaluable as at the same time, because even though I had this stroke of luck, I also realized that you still need to do the work because it took, I think probably four years past that first aired episode before I made the um, move up to staff writer on Dexter. So lightning can strike, surely, but I think you, everyone still needs to do the work and continue. I mean, because I was writing pilots and features and you writers write. Right. And so you always have to be, at least for me, I feel like you always have to be working on something so that when someone who is employing you says, hey, do you have anything I can read? And you say, yes, I have this, or I've been thinking about this. Um, because what's great about people like the Kings and other people that I've worked for over the years is that if you show up and do the work and are reliable and dependable and, and are there every day, they're going to give you a shot. And it's important to be prepared when they do give you that shot. So, so after that, and you said there were four years before you got staffed on, on Dexter and you said you were writing everything, right? So what was happening to the pilots and to the features that you were writing? Where was it going? Where did it land? Great question. Um, it was kind of, it wasn't, here's what it was doing, I guess. It didn't go anywhere in terms of, did I sell any of those things that I was writing? No, I didn't. But it was great practice in terms of writing a pilot and creating that world and thinking about these characters. And same things on the features that I was writing as well, although it's such a more contained story. Um, I think it's about being able to finish in a weird way. I think if there was one huge takeaway is that you need to be able to execute because a lot of people have really cool ideas. Those ideas need to become a script. Mm -hmm. Um, And and being able to finish a script and complete a story and doing it over and over and over again, it makes it so that when you finally do make the jump to being an employed writer, you're ready to do the work. Because you've been writing and you've been finishing. That's right. You've been writing and finishing. And I think that, um, and by the way, that's not to say, I mean, geez, there were leaps and bounds in terms of the quality of writing, I'm sure. Like if I were to go back and look at some of my drafts when I was on Dexter, my, I'm sure I'd be horrified. And so I think that you continue to evolve and become a better writer the more you write. So so um, those things that you were writing, it, just because they're selling doesn't mean it, they didn't help get you jobs. Did they become the writing samples that helped get you your your staffing job? Great question. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so um, that's why it's so important to be able to have finished material. And also that that finished material is read by people who understand the process of writing to a, to a degree so that they can give you some feedback. So if there is something that's not working, you can, you know, do a pass on it and make it work or you can, cause I remember I was also in writers groups as well at the time, which was great in terms of you have a group of people and everyone swaps material and you meet up and you talk about it and give each other's notes, which I thought was invaluable as well. So with Dexter, which, you know, was everybody's favorite show when Dexter first came out, right? 
uh, Dexter. Have you heard about Dexter? Dexter, Dexter, Dexter. So other than it being uh, based on your life as a serial killer, when you came in to Dexter, what season were you coming into? I came in season three. And so it already had quite a rich life it at did. that point. It, there, it got like very intricate with the characters and, and all this stuff. Uh, did were you a fan coming in, or did you have to did you have to cram? I was a massive fan. It oh, was, that's good. Oh, I was a massive fan. It was a situation where um, it was my absolute favorite show, and I remember when I got hired, I was very excited, but I kept it like down. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm not gonna geek out and be a fangirl. But my first day of work, I remember um, I got to go on a tour of our stages, and when we went into Dexter's apartment. I zeroed in on the air conditioner. I was like, that's where he keeps the blood flies. I had to really not, I kept that like suppressed because I didn't want to be that person. Um, But I was a huge, huge fan of the show. So that felt so lucky. Like I felt like I'd won the lottery only because creatively that just really hit the sweet spot um, for the storytelling that I was really into. And still am, honestly. But also, like, maybe being a fan got you the job because I'm sure if you came into the meeting, when the, you knew everything about the show, right? You knew, you knew its history. You knew what arcs it had or where it might go, right? And, you know, other people, like I said, they have to cram. It's their homework, but it was your willing homework. It was my willing homework. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. Yes. And I was so... Oh, God, it was so great just because that room, um, the writers and producers in that room were such an incredibly, incredibly talented group of people. And they were funny and super smart and just warm. And um, it just, it was a very much a, a team-oriented environment when I, when I was there. And um, I just was like, I, get, I can do this for work. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I felt very, very lucky. Now, again, Dexter had this this huge procedural part of it. It wasn't just like guy kills people in sexy ways, right? He, it's it, it was a sort of whodunit um, sometimes of the week. Mm-hmm. So um, when you get to shows like Covert Affairs um, and Unforgettable, both of those are, are were procedurals, right? Mm-hmm. Did you, had you sort of uh, developed any kind of shortcut for, shortcut always sounds like you're cheating, any, any kind of um, way that you would come up with the turns that, you know, let's say there was a false lead yeah. or a, a huge clue, like any, I'm just wondering if there are any tips that you can give people as far as when you are writing procedurals, some things to be thinking about. No, that's good. I have to kind of digest that a little bit because I'm thinking back and things were a little bit different when we broke stuff like covert and unforgettable and even Dexter because Dexter, even though there were procedural elements, was a very serialized show. So they spent a lot of time plotting out the arc of the entire season, which was invaluable. Uh, a lot of times, anytime we would find ourselves getting, I don't want to say stuck because it's not really stuck. It's just, you realize like, oh, let's skin this cat in a different way. A lot of the times reverse engineering, like if you know the bad guy, who the bad guy is, and you need to fill in the gaps, if you start at the, and this is just from the breaking, I don't recommend this from the writing standpoint when you're ready to go to script, but if it's just in the breaking of it, if you start at the end 
And then you figure you can reverse engineer and figure out the points, the tent poles you need to hit or the road signs or whatever you'd like to call it on the way to getting to that end. I, I mean, for me, I find that helpful. I think it's very helpful. Um, I want to remind people, I don't think I've sent this handout in a long time, but there's a backwards brainstorming handout that I use in my rewrite class. And it starts with, okay, what do you want to reveal? And then, well, where are you? And then how did you get there in terms of a clue, you know, and what triggered that clue and so on. So sometimes if you reverse engineer it, looking at each thing almost as though they're an act break, that could be helpful based on what Karen's talking about. So if you want it, uh, write into Pilar at onthepage.tv or inquire at onthepage.tv because I went and gave my personal email first, but that's how it goes. Oh, well, whatever. All comes the same person anyway, me. Um, and then uh, Patreon people, anybody who contributes to the Patreon page uh, for $5 or more per month will automatically get this handout. So that I will be putting online. And of commercial. <laughs> but since you said it, like, oh, I totally believe in that, you know, reverse engineering. The same thing even with a serialized show, because if you're, if you're figuring out where you need to be by the end of the season, then each show has to be a step that gets you there. That's so right. maybe reverse engineering even, even this, okay, well, this season. Yeah. I am a big believer in that. Because uh, I just feel like a lot of the times, as long as you know where you're going then you can have all kinds of fun on the journey to getting there. Um, I find, at least for me when I'm writing, if I don't know how it ends, that's what I need to know where it ends first, always. Um, but I'm also a big believer in outlines. I'm also a big believer in like having it broken before going to script. Not that there can't be discoveries when you're writing the script. Um, I just, um, I guess I... I'm process oriented and I like it to be a thorough. When do you feel like if you're in a procedural, you always had really good characters at the base of it. I mean, like unforgettable was had a, had a lead character who literally remembers everything from every moment in her life. She has that, that ability, which is super cool. Um, so you got to play with that, but do you feel like, did the rooms that you were in ever sort of go, no, 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 we can't do that. Not oh. that easy trope. Oh. No, no. Look, you just cheated. Like Every room. <laughs> Every single one. It's funny because I remember when we were getting into seasons, you know, kind of six, seven, and eight of Dexter, there would be so many great pitches. And then there'd be stuff where like, oh, but we did that season four. Mm. Oh, we did that season two. Huh. And then the similar thing happened in COVID Affairs as well, where it's like, okay, but we had a big bad that was similar to this bad bad that we had a three season, the three episode arc in season two. And so it gets very challenging to try to come up with new stuff. But as long as for me, what I found like the way kind of around that, it comes from character. So if the new character that season feels different and has a different backstory and has a different journey than other characters that the show has been populated with prior to that, then that's usually how you can get around those sorts of pitfalls. It happens in every room though. Every, it doesn't matter the story you're telling. Actually, you know what? There was one room where it didn't happen and that was on six and that was because we were on our first season. <sighs> so it was the one time. <laughs> and you were like, yes, yes, <laughs> new show. Yes. Um, 
so and six seemed seemed interesting. I I'd never watched it, so I was watching you know sort of the trailer material and stuff like that, and it felt like going into it, it even though it was about the SEAL team SEAL Team Six, you your entrance was one of their own getting kidnapped. Is that right? Or was that just one episode? No, it, it was. It was um, their team leader being kidnapped. What was great is that um, the creators of that show, uh, Bill and David Broyles, had done a lot of character development, um, which was great. And so they these really rich characters that you could draw from. And then it was, it was a lot of fun, actually, to arc out that eight episode season in terms of um, just what it took to, spoiler alert, get the guy who was kidnapped back. I have a feeling we get him back. Yeah. It is, you know, I don't think that's a big spoiler. <laughs> but, but okay, so, you know, eight episodes, you've got a goal, mm-hmm. right? You can almost look at it as eight sequences of a feature. Did it feel sometimes like you were you were dealing with, like, a giant movie since you did have this very sort of movie movie-like goal going into the yeah, series? it's interesting. I'd never thought of it like that. But it could be that, I mean, on certain shows, like Six and even Covert Affairs, because, for example, on Outlander, there are no outbreaks, similar to Dexter. So in the room, you're not breaking it as, okay, this is act one outbreak. This is, you know, it's very... I mean, if you look at it, yes, there are still breaks, but it's not as though it's as hard and fast as we need an act out because we're going to commercial break like we did on um, Six and Covert Affairs. So when we were doing it, and it could be that I've just worked on serialized shows, to me it felt like telling another serialized dramatic series. I didn't think of it in terms of a feature. But that's just me. Well, I think the, the, the fun part about TV is it lets you expand to all of the, the characters. Whereas with a feature, it's hard to tell five stories at one time unless that is the conceit of it. That's right. Like, it's going to be an ensemble movie, and that becomes, like, its hook. As opposed to TV, where it's like, okay, we've got one goal, but we've got five different ways of accomplishing it. And along the ways, we're going to go we're gonna go here into this person's house and this person's love life and that kind of stuff, right? Absolutely. And I think that's why... And movies are great. I still enjoy movies. I think that... From a story stand, storytelling standpoint, though, it's so great to be able to give so many different characters journeys and that it's not just one person's story and that you can really ground these people and their experiences and who these characters are on a path to become in a way that it's kind of, it's more limiting in a feature format. I, you know, it's, yeah, I it's I I don't know. I don't want to vote for either one anymore. No, nor do I. It's interesting because uh I don't this is sort of off subject, but in my classes for a while it was, you know, when I started it was only feature, right? Then TV, right? And then it started being like only TV. Wow. It's like we were my feature people and now the features are coming back. You know, I wonder what that's about. With I'm happy about it. Absolutely. I I like the fact that both mediums seem to be learning from each other. Um but I think maybe also, you know, people are, are so overwhelmed, you know, by TV that they're like, I'm going to do this thing that seems completely different. It's called a movie. So <laughs> honestly, I do understand that. I mean, I'm working on a feature right now just are you? because it's nice to tell something that's contained mm-hmm. that once this story ends, the story will end. 
And there's something refreshing about that. But then at the same time, you know, it's also developing TV ideas. It's just, it's nice to sometimes play in a different sandbox and know that you're only going to be there for a certain amount of time. Now, are you, um, since, since right now you're, you're in a writing phase, right? Yeah. So you're writing a feature. Are you also developing a new series? Yes. I'm, it's a few ideas for a number of different things. So it's more mostly working up pitches at this point. And then I think whichever, whichever pitch has the most traction, probably fleshing that out to the next phase. We talk a little bit on the show, and I talk about it in class, of you know, how do you know when you have a feature versus when you have a TV show? For your, the feature project that you're working on, what made you go like, no, that's a movie? Like, how, what about that medium made you go, I have to tell my story this way. It is not a TV show. What a great question. I think what it was, was that, because it's a period piece, and even though having worked on a period show, I'm finding that they're rare. It's a more rarefied space when it comes to actually getting it picked up, so to speak. And, and knowing that, and knowing that without giving anything away, the world that it takes place in would be challenging in a television marketplace, I felt that it seemed more organic for it to stay or remain as a feature. Makes sense. Yeah. Because it's just the period element, the world in which it's told, it was kind of like this feels like it's more of a movie because as a series, I have no idea who you market this to. Got it. Got it. Now, okay, so you said Dexter, when you first came on, it's like, this is what I want to write. But you're writing a period movie right now. So is this just like... All the different sides of Karen Kimball? Or is this like an evolving thing? Maybe, although there's still murder. Oh, but there you go. So I feel like the common denominator is that people die. Okay. Yeah. All right. So people die, but they look pretty when it's happening. Why not? All about that. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) (laughs) So what's your favorite thing about the actual writing process. You, you've, you said even before we got on mic, it's all about persistence, right? So you write mm. and you write and you write and you write. You must enjoy it. So what, like, is it the breaking story part? Is it writing dialogue? Is it, like, imagining new scenarios? Yeah, wow. I mean, yeah, I would say largely most of the time, I really, really like it. there are some moments where I really don't like it, but then I realize it's just because I discover sometimes there's something about the story that isn't working. Mm -hmm. You know, it was working for you yesterday, but now that you're going over your beat sheet or now that you're finally under the hood, you're like, Oh, but this doesn't work. And then it's kind of taking a step back and realizing, okay, what could work or why do I feel like this isn't working? Um, Because for me, it's different. It's different when you're working, at least for me, solitarily versus in the room. Mm -hmm. I love the room. It's one of my favorite places. I think that it's just so much fun because you have other people who are storytellers and everyone's coming together. And the best rooms are when you've got people who have different strengths and they're all in there together, but they're pitching in in a way where we're creating this symphony, so Mm -hmm. to speak. But someone's a cellist and someone is a drummer. And... um, it's really magical. I really love the room. And there are times where I've been in rooms where we've had a really good story. And for some reason, either, you know, we think it's good, but maybe 
you know, the studio network has challenges with it or somewhere along the line, someone feels like it isn't that great and then completely thing gets detonated. And then what's great about having a room is that you've got a bunch of professionals and we're all there and can like knock out a new story and make and come up with something, turn it around within a week. It's those moments where I've been most proud because I realize like it's hard when things that you believe in or have a passion for get blown up. It's tough because you, when we write, there's always something about the character that resonates with us or we're telling something about the human experience that makes us feel certain things. And, um, and to know that you've poured a lot into something only to have it not come to fruition, it, it stings for sure. It's just when you've got a group of people there, you can all pick up the pieces and come up with something that sometimes is even better than what was there originally. Did, in, in your experience, in it could be Outlander, it could be any room that you're in, um, when people got stuck, either because it was something they've explored before or it's a trope that they have to do, but they have to do it in a new way, what are some, are, are there any techniques that people would use to try and find a fresh take? Sometimes. I mean, there's this thing, I've been in a number of rooms where the term blue sky has been used. Yeah. Where basically just chuck everything we've been talking about and sky's the limit. What are different avenues? It's just like, you know, a half hour, hour brainstorming session just to throw things out and just a way to kind of dislodge the story that was so entrenched. Um, That's a great idea. So the idea is like, if you're just going to throw everything out, that means that you can, you have license to be silly yes. or extreme yes. or, you know, mention a shark, right? Right. Like you Absolutely. could go there mm-hmm. and because eventually then you could bring it down to what the show is. Absolutely. That's cool. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny because, you know, blue sky. Yeah. It is one of those terms where you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah. I remember coming into, I, w- I was uh, asked to teach a, think it was way 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 back for for disney and they they brought me in and they were like yeah just um just uh, here are writers just sit down in blue sky with them and i had no idea what they were talking about like i'm trying i'm like blue sky what could that possibly mean <laughs> it, was, it was like 15 years ago you know right. I was like i okay <laughs> I'm sorry what but fortunately Fortunately, the the act of faking it kind of is blue skying it, right? It, it is. is. So it's hundred like, percent. So, yeah. What do you? Want? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, okay, so blue skying is one of those ways. Mm-hmm. Any other thing that that comes to mind? Like, let's say it's oh, it's a scene that you know you have to have. Mm-hmm. Let's say it involves you know uh, guns, or it involves um, you know uh, like a police police procedure or something like that and a a fresh way to do it do you guys ever um is there anything that comes to mind about how you make that new man that's tough the only thing and the only way that that i found to kind of make that stuff feel different because it's weird like we know we've seen enough cop shows to know what cops do Mm -hmm. same with law shows same with medical shows but if you can somehow grounded in character, I feel like that's where it gets different because no two people are the same. So then you go to, well, what would that character be thinking? What, what's their behavior in this moment? Is there something that, that pressed a button for them, right? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Cool. Yeah. 
So I know you love rooms, and so it sounds like you've only had a positive experience, and I hope that I, it's okay to ask this question, and of you course. can just totally tell me if it isn't. Um, but, you know, I'm looking here, you've, you know, your career has, has now, it's been at least 10 years, right? Yeah. Um, you know, women in the writing room, hopefully there are more and more. Um, were there uh, a lot of women in the room when you were there? And if there weren't, what was your, how did you, how did you deal with that experience? Great question. Uh, I would say, actually, I've only been on one show where I was the only woman in the room. Oh, that's good. Every, every other show I'd been on, I would say, I mean, I have to do the quick mental math. There has just been one where I was the only woman. And I did not in any way feel that I was the only woman in a weird way. And I think that's just because my background, um, I come from competitive sports and um, I trained with guys in high school all through college. And so being in a room with guys was no different than being in the weight room with the guys or, you know, in the pool with the guys. I was a swimmer. Um, So for me, I think my sports background, I have such a different experience that it's never made me feel any different. But have you seen um, an improvement as far as numbers goes? You mentioned I mean, that I you were. I would say on Outlander, we were there were more women on the staff than men, and then even on even on Dexter, we had a lot of women on Dexter. So even my first show out of the gate, other than you know being an assistant on stuff leading up to that, um, which is great, which is awesome. Um, so and, and plus, I think it's great just to get more voices involved anyway. Right. You know, because I think the most important thing is you want people who have had different experiences because that's just it really makes it enriches the characters and the stories that you can tell because people haven't lived the same life. And they and you want people to share in the room about where where they've come from and what it's what life has been like for them, because I think that it can just imbue the story in a way, whereas if everyone has the exact same background, it's going to, I'm not going to say that it will be homogenized, but I feel like you want it to feel different. Now, there are a lot of people listening. They want to be you when they grow up. Okay. So if you had a piece of career advice to give them, um, that may be something you know now that you didn't know then, or just something you feel like, no, you know what, that, that was the piece of career advice that I did well. And I want, I want people to know about what, 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 piece of career advice would that be? I know. It's funny. Looking back, I got to say, there's no magic bullet. Mm-hmm. There's, no, there's no clear line through this. I think what's been helpful is just being persistent, as what I was telling you before we started the chat, that uh, just continuing to try to achieve that goal in spite of obstacles, because you know in your heart, this is what you need to be doing. And this is what you love. And there are going to be times where you may question it. Is this what I should be doing? But at the end of the day, I just, I knew in my heart, I wanted to tell stories and, um, and I didn't want to do anything else. And I'm really glad that that worked out because I don't know what else. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you could fall back on the serial killing. So you're doing, is that lucrative though? uh, You know, I I don't, I'm not sure. Maybe Hitman. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Karen, thank you so much thank for you, being here. Pilar. You've been awesome. Um, 
uh, what would you like people to put their eyes on? Um, should they should they check out Outlander? Is oh, yeah, there definitely yeah. check out Outlander. Go back and rewatch Dexter. Okay, I did that not too long ago. It totally holds up. Uh, definitely tune in. Season four is going to be an exciting season of Outlander, and um, and keep writing. Honestly, there's so much out there to watch, but people, everybody needs to keep writing. Now, I I know you're so busy writing. You probably aren't like a big social media person. But are you somebody who tweets or anything like that? No? No. Okay, good for you. Good for you. Just always have to check in because some people are like, tweet me. I totally get it and I I respect that. I am, uh, yeah, I'm not on social media, no. I'm with you. I'm with you. Well, thank you so much, Karen. I want to remind everybody to go to onthepage.tv to check out the in-person classes, the recorded classes that are online. Yes, there will be more of them. Um, Yeah, yeah, podcast episodes you haven't heard. Oh, the whole thing. I usually have a little script in front of me. I don't have it. I think I you do a good it. job winging it. Yeah, thanks. That's, That's Friday. You are. <laughs> it is. It is. What are you going to do after this? It's, oh, it's 10 of 6 on I know, Friday. It's 10 of 6. I'm going to meet a friend for dinner. Oh, oh, I haven't good. seen in a while, so I'm very excited about that. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Friend from work, friend from school. Friend from work. Excellent. Yes, definitely. Okay. Well, let's get you out of here so that you thank can do you. that. I want to thank Karen Campbell again. I want to thank all of you for listening and have a good writing week. Thank you.